I looked at the screen and I said, you know what, that's the flight I packed my bags to go on. And I said, that's the first flight that got hijacked this morning. It's just a stunning revelation when you realize that you should have been someplace and, and all of the ramifications that go with that. Today on First Person, you'll meet an airline pilot who was to have flown on Flight 11 out of Boston on September 11, 2001. We'll find out why he wasn't on that flight and about the ministry God has given him today. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome to First Person, a weekly conversation with a guest who has found their relationship with Jesus Christ to be life-altering. The stories you hear on First Person are also found on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. You'll find additional information and links to today's guest, as well as an online archive of each and every interview for you to listen to at any time. Once again, we're found at firstpersoninterview.com. Or visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Steve Scheibner is a commander in the U.S. Navy Reserve and a first officer for American Airlines, but he has also served as a pastor and currently has a ministry called Character Health, ministering to families. But on September 11, 2001, Steve was scheduled to be on Flight 11 out of Boston on that ill-fated morning. I talked with him on the phone and asked him to share his story with us today on First Person. Well, September 10th is a day for me that means a great deal. It was the day before 9-11, clearly. And uh, what I normally do is uh, I bid something called reserve at American Airlines. And there's two types of pilots. There's line-holding pilots and reserve pilots. A reserve pilot typically will fill in for a line-holding pilot that, for whatever reason, has to miss a trip. He's sick. He's got to go to training, whatever. Uh, and there'll be no pilot assigned to either the left seat or the right seat of the airplane. Now, I'm a right seater. I'm a co-pilot if you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on September 10th, uh, 2001, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon is when they assign any unassigned seats that, that haven't been filled yet. So at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I went to the computer to do what I normally do the day before I'm available to go flying. Uh, and I looked into the computer and saw that there was one trip unassigned, at least for the co-pilot, uh, and that was American Airlines Flight 11 out of Boston. So as we know, that was the first airplane that got hijacked. So then the next thing that I do at that point at 3 in the afternoon is I go down and look at the list of other available reserve pilots because I know that I'm available, but there may be others. So uh, I look down the list of available reserve pilots, and it just so happened on September 10th or going into September 11th that there was only one guy available to go flying that day, and that was me. Um, and so this is pretty simple. One guy, one seat, um, you're going to get it. And uh, at that time, uh, what's called crew scheduling at American Airlines will then assign my name to that trip in the computer. The next step then is for them to make a phone call to confirm what they've already put into the computer. But there's an optional feature for them. They can open a window of opportunity up for 30 minutes uh, for one of those line-holding pilots who'd be senior to me to call in and bump me off that trip. And it's just a 30-minute window um, they've got to call in, you know, it's uh, got to be their initiative. And if they don't, um, they're going to call me, crew scheduling is going to call me and finalize the assignment. And then after the phone call gets made, nobody can bump me. It's my trip from that moment forward. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that basically is what happened on September uh, 10th, 2001. I was, uh, went into the computer, saw my name in there, uh, turned around to my wife and I said, well, I'm going to Los Angeles tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, I went out and packed my bags, uh, actually put them in the trunk of my car 
and uh, waited for the phone to ring. And typically the phone will ring usually within just a few minutes, but sometimes it takes as much as a half an hour. Uh, and very rare that the phone doesn't ring, but on September 10th, 2001, uh, crew scheduling never called. And what was taking place at the same time was that a fellow by the name of Tom McGinnis, uh, a, uh, one of those line holding pilots, was celebrating his 42nd birthday with his wife and his children. And somewhere during his birthday celebration, Tom decided to go to the computer to see if there was any available flying for the next day. Tom's motivation was just to fill up his paycheck. He was just looking for a little extra pay. Um, so at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he did what I did. Uh, and he looked and he saw my name penciled in on that flight, but he knew he was still in that, that small window of opportunity. So he called down there to American Airlines and said, hey, am I you know, legal to take this trip? In other words, can I bump Scheibner off that trip? And they got back to him and said, yep, you're, you're legal to bump him, but we need to hear back from you. Uh, I don't know what happened next exactly, but I think he had some sort of conversation with his wife. And uh, he called the American Airlines and said, yep, I'll take that trip. And at that moment, they erased my name off of it. They put his name on it. Um, I never knew any different because they never called me. Uh, and uh, with all of that set in motion, now Tom shows up on September 11th for American Airlines Flight 11, which, as we all know, was the first airplane that was uh, hijacked. So Tom ends up, you know, uh, being one of the first victims of September 11th. How did you find out what happened to that flight? And when did you find out? You know, later on that evening, on the 10th, I, I realized, you know, hey, they never called me. And uh, so now what that means to me is I've got the next day off, basically. I'm, I'm going to get paid, but I still I can go do anything I want, really. And so I was doing a project over on the local naval base. I was a naval reserve officer at the time. And so I put my Navy uniform on that day, on the 11th, and uh, went into work, uh, my, you know, my other job. Uh, and uh, I got in there about 7.30 in the morning, and uh, I was doing some little projects, and I went over to another building to get to my office. And uh, right about that time was when the first airplane hit the first building. And, of course, you know, I'm watching it on TV like everybody else. Uh, and I'm in just stunned, you know, amazement as I'm watching the second airplane hit the second building. And uh, if you remember the, the news accounts on that day, the early news accounts were that as many as maybe 10 or 20 airplanes had been hijacked. There was a lot of uncertainty in those first couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And it looked as though uh, many of them were American Airlines. Now, as it turned out, it was two United Airplane flights and two American Airlines flights. Um, but I'm looking at the screen thinking, I wonder if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. And, you know, is our nation under attack? And so being on the naval base, we kind of went into war mode uh, for a day. Uh, and so I was really distracted by that. Uh, I wasn't really thinking that that was the flight that I had packed my bags for. Oh, I see. Yeah. Huh. And your wife, Megan Ann, is at home. When did she learn about what was going on? Well, she was at home. We homeschool our children. And so she was at home uh, doing that. And uh, they didn't have the TV or the radio on. She was just doing their schoolwork. Uh, but we, were, we had just moved into a new house. And uh, the the contractors had been in and out for weeks, finishing up stuff. And, and we knew these guys; they're they're friends of ours, and we'd built relationships with them over the months that they'd worked on the house. And so they were in kind of working on the house that day. And she noticed that they were kind of acting odd. Uh, nobody would come up and talk to her, and they're all having these little private conversations, and it was just kind of strange. And so she just noted that in the back of her mind. And uh, about uh, I don't know nine twenty nine thirty in the morning. The head contractor, the owner of the business, calls up, and uh, he says, uh, you know, get, gets Megan on the phone. He says, do you know where Steve is today? And she says, yeah, he went he put his Navy uniform on. He's over at the naval base. He said, oh, good. He said, well, do you know what's going on? 
and he got her to turn on the TV, oh. of course, and she began to see what was going on. But their concern, the guys were walking around because they didn't see me at home. Mm-hmm. And their first concern was, hey, this guy's on an American Airlines trip, wow. and that first airplane plane was hijacked out of Boston. So they were scared. They didn't know. In fact, this is a little humor in all of that darkness. But they had actually flipped a coin to see who was going to go in and ask the question. <laughs> and uh, before, <laughs> I think I think the loser went and called the boss and said, would you mind calling? And so that's how she found out that, uh, you know, what was going on that morning. And when did you get to see uh, Megan Ann and, and the kids? And I mean, that must have been a moment. Right. I didn't get home until later on that evening because now that I was on the naval base, they did a lockdown of the naval base and nobody on, nobody off. And so I was in there until probably, I don't know, five or six o'clock in the evening when they finally, you know, let everybody go. Uh, and uh, I came home and, and uh, I put on my pastor hat on the way home and we invited uh, the church to come over to our house and uh, uh, have a little impromptu prayer meeting. So there was about 40 people at our house. So we were pretty busy, caught up in all of that, and and sometime during that uh, evening of prayer that we had at our house, I kind of slipped away because I wanted to find out, you know, who had been assigned those flights. Because remember, I'm still not thinking that that was the flight I was supposed to be on, but I knew that I would probably know the names or of the people that had been on those flights. So I went back to the computer and I logged in like I had the day before on the tenth. And when I logged in, the screen came up in front of me. And when I got that visual look at the screen, it looked exactly like it had the day before, where it had my name penciled in on a flight, except this time, instead of my name, it said, Sequence Failed Continuity, which is code at the airlines for the flight never made it to its destination. Mm. And uh, boy, you talk about an understatement. That's absolutely huge. Um, That had to be a chilling moment. At that moment, I just, you know, your heart is in your throat. And I, I looked at the screen and I said, you know what? That's the flight I packed my bags to go on. So about that time, Megan came around the corner and she was curious that I had slipped away. And she said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, you remember I packed my bags to go to Los Angeles yesterday? And she said, yeah. And I said, that's the first flight that got hijacked this morning. And I, I, I still don't have words to describe that moment. Um we just kind of stood there and stared at each other and then we held each other for a minute. Um, and it's, it's just a stunning revelation when you realize that you should have been someplace and, and all of the ramifications that go with that. Now you weren't personally acquainted with Tom McGinnis, were you? I only knew him as an acquaintance. Okay. You know, he's a co-pilot like I am. I fly with the captains at American. I had bumped into him a couple of times, but didn't know him real well. Okay. So co-pilots, I mean, you're obviously not on the same flights together. You wouldn't know each other, but what have you learned about Tom since? Well, you know, a lot. Uh, you know, I know Tom better now than than I did before, clearly. But to Tom, here's and here's the silver lining on this little dark story. Uh, Tom has a solid testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Great. And uh, his wife, Cheryl, uh, travels around the country doing a really powerful message on forgiveness. Hmm. Uh, she has since remarried, uh, but she still goes out and shares that. Uh, you know, she gives glory to God for, you know, what he did in, in this situation as well. But on September 11, 2001, Tom went straight into the arms of the Lord. And that's, mm. you know, really kind of a, a great reassurance, uh, which leads to a secondary question of, you know, why does God take one and leave another? Yeah. Uh, and that's a question I've tried to wrestle with, you know, these past 11 years now. Uh, and there's no good answer to that. Um, it's not because God wanted to do more with me than he wanted to do with Tom, or I'm a better person than Tom. It has nothing to do with any of that. I think in God's providence, that's clearly his choice. And he made that choice. 
um, for me, the guy who's left behind, uh, I've got to make the most out of what the Lord has given me, uh, which is uh, a second chance, if you will, uh, or coming to the realization that I'm living on borrowed time. Uh, and so I, I live these days now with a real sense of urgency to make the most for the kingdom of God that I can with my life. Well, let's take a break. But in a moment, we'll hear more of Steve Scheibner's story coming up here on First Person. Next week, you'll hear one woman's vision of helping women and children in Africa. When you call upon the Lord, He will answer you. And He's the one that showed me the needs of women and that the resources that He's given us, especially in this country, need to be poured out around the world. So when you look at the impact we can have as women, it's huge. We'll talk with Vicki Waterlick of Hands of Hope and learn about doors of hope for women and children in Africa next week on First Person. My guest on First Person today, Steve Scheibner, who was to have been on Flight 11 out of Boston on September 11, 2001, but something happened and Tom McGinnis was the co-pilot on that flight. Uh, it's wonderful to hear, Steve, that Tom was a Christian like like you. And uh, again, we can't begin to understand all the whys and wherefores of that day, but uh, boy, what a, what a comfort to know that Tom's with the Lord. Yeah, it really is a comforting thought. And, uh, you know, like you said, someday when we get there to be with the Lord, he'll straighten out all the whys and the wherefores. Uh, but right now, uh, for me, I've got to tell Tom's story uh, accurately, and I've got to tell my story accurately, and, and hopefully both of those things bring glory to God, which is really the God story part of the circumstances of 9-11 and, and uh, me getting bumped off that flight. Now, you were serving the Lord before this all happened. You were a, you were a pilot, you were a pastor, you were Naval Reserve, um, but it had to be a defining moment in your life. What, what has changed in your life and in the life of your family since that day? Yeah, it, it really is a defining moment, and, and my wife wrote a book called In My Seat, and uh, in that book, she really kind of lays out, you know, what Paul Harvey used to call the rest of the story, that kind of the background of what leads up to a, a catalytic moment in your life, and then the aftermath of that. And clearly, 9-11 was one of those moments where the Lord, um, I call it a major life event. It's one of those moments where your brain takes a snapshot of exactly where you were, and, uh, you know, as your listeners are listening to this program, you can picture in your mind's eye right now where you were, even though it's been over 11 years uh, since the events of 9-11. Uh, and God puts that mechanism inside of us for a reason. And I think the reason is so that we focus in on what's most important and we filter out what is least important in our lives. And for me, that was exactly 9-11. Uh, you know, it was a shocking time to to realize that I should have been on that flight, but I wasn't. Um, you don't wake up one morning and realize, okay, there's all the things that God wants to teach you. It's more of a process mm-hmm. over a number of years. Um, but over the years that I've been telling the story and letting it sink in, um, the one thing that has remained is that the Lord has given me a deep and passionate sense of urgency to get the most out of my days. And so as a result, I was pastoring at a church uh, at the time. Uh, I stayed there for a number of years after 9-11. Uh, but a little over two years ago, I uh, stepped down from that ministry to start um, what we call the Character Health Ministry. And Character Health, the primary thing that we do is uh, the nine practices of the proactive parent. And my wife and I have a real passion for going out and equipping parents to train a new generation of what we call courageous, Christ-like, character-healthy 
leaders. Well, you have a lab in your own home. How many children do you have? Yeah, we have eight children of our own. Okay, so well, that, that, that's a good way to look at it. That'll lab. qualify you right there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, it will. Right. <laughs> so tell me more about character health. Well, character health is a, a number of things that we do, but it's parenting, marriage, youth character development, conferences, and seminars. It's all material that she and I have developed together. Uh, the nine practices actually came out of a Navy leadership course I was asked to write. Uh, and as I was teaching this thing over the years, we put about 12,000 sailors through this Navy course that I wrote. More and more, the application in the principles would be a parenting application. Uh, and so we turned it into a parenting course. It's really rich in Bible, uh, really rich in practicality. Uh, but we walk parents through systematically how to raise courageous, Christ-like, character-healthy young people in a world that is really kind of headed in the opposite direction. We really feel like the, the American family is in crisis today. And uh, one of the things I learned at pastoring a church for 10 years was that the church could not create a program that would make up for what mom and dad were not doing at home, if you follow that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the church can come alongside. We can help make it better. But if mom and dad aren't doing it at home, the, the church is not a replacement for them. So our passion now is to go directly to parents We do it through the church, but we go directly to parents with these nine practices so that they've got uh, kind of a a template, if you will, uh, for how to raise these um, uh, Christ-like and character-healthy young people. Now, you're still flying for American, right? Yes, I am. But you are no longer in the Naval Reserve, but still uh, as an active uh, co-pilot and with this ministry. How do you keep all that going, Steve? Well, there's a lot of overlap, uh, but uh, I'm in airplanes a lot. I'm either flying one or I'm in the back seat of one. Uh, and uh, many times I take, we still have a couple of younger ones at home. Uh, so I try to take some of the kids with me on the road, and that's kind of fun for them. We didn't talk about your early life and coming to Christ, um, but I know that the family you have now um, is different than the family you grew up in, isn't it? That's right. Uh, I grew up in a completely unchurched home. Uh, I think we went to church twice, you know, growing up between birth and 18 years, and and uh, so it was a completely foreign concept to me. I had heard the, the, the stories about Christ, but I didn't know what that really meant to me personally. Um, and then when I was 17 years old, I, I got hooked up with a group called Young Life, and Young Life I just is near and dear to my heart. Uh, and uh, we went to a camp, a summer camp, where they take kids and share the gospel, and uh, there's 350 of us there. It was an absolute blast. Uh, but I heard the gospel presented for the first time, that, that uh, God had sent his own son in the flesh, that Jesus Christ, uh, you know, paid the price on the cross for my sin that I couldn't pay so that I can be reconciled to God. And then with all of that in mind, I had to respond to it. It, it required a response on my part. I had never heard any of that before. And I was thrilled. Um, and I, 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 I wrestled with God. After that message for about a month, uh, you know, I wasn't, you know, pride is very deep. But after about a month, I surrendered my heart to the Lord. And that was back in August of 1978 um, that I, uh, you know, asked Christ into my heart. And uh, so I've been a a believer now for, you know, 34 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me take you back um, to the events surrounding September 11, 2001. Steve, you got a wake-up call you weren't looking for. Uh, and I and I know that a lot of us, you know, these these things come suddenly upon us. Uh, talk to me more about the lessons and the thoughts that you've had in the last uh, 10, 11 years since that day that have shaped your life. 
Yeah, you know, the, it's it, that's a good way to put it, a wake-up call that you weren't expecting. Although, you know, I would say this. there If you think about the parable of the ten virgins, um, Jesus is trying to teach us an important lesson there. And one of them is there were five virgins who put oil in their lamp, and there were five who didn't. And the five who put oil in their lamp were prepared to be used by the Lord. And and that has stuck with me all these years. You know, back in the in the 90s when I was flying for American Airlines and going to seminary part-time, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with that education. Uh, but the Lord was putting oil in my lamp. And as he was putting oil in my lamp, he was preparing me to be used for something greater. So we started, I started a church in 2000, which I thought was going to be you know, the end-all be-all was going to be my life's work, and it was really a wonderful experience. But the Lord had something even richer and bigger than that. And the catalytic event that 9-11 was took uh, that oil that that, it, that was already in my lamp, and then it, it ignited it. Uh, and so with the training, with the background, with the education, with the passion, all of those things put together, um, the Lord has really laid out for us a path ahead. I travel all around the country now, I've been to hundreds of churches sharing my 9-11 story and the film. Uh, they're powerful events, uh, in addition to the parenting and marriage conferences that my wife and I do. So the Lord's got a, we've got a full you know, plate in front of us, but it's good, rewarding work for the kingdom of God. Yeah, let's mention the film that you just referred to. I haven't talked about that with you yet. Uh, your son actually put that together, right? That's right. The film's called In My Seat. Uh, and it's available on YouTube, or if people want a DVD copy, they can just go to you know inmyseat.net and uh, get a DVD copy along with the book. It comes free with the book. Uh, and uh, that film uh, he put together as a senior project at Bob Jones University. He's a filmmaker by trade, and that was his final project. Uh, and uh, he put it together, and it's just beautiful. Um, it, it shares the gospel in a in a really wonderful and well balanced way. Um, and it, it, he released it to YouTube just before the 10th anniversary of 9-11, and it went viral overnight. Uh, it's uh, well over 2 million views now. Uh, you have to be one of the most thankful men on earth uh, for what, what, how God has moved in your life and preserved your life and now given you this ministry. Yeah, I, I am, and thanks for the reminder. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like everybody else. I, I think uh, as time goes by, you, you get less and less thankful for things. Um, but it really is a, a perspective of gratitude that you ought to have towards the Lord. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Tom, the pilot who bumped me, and I, I hope nobody takes this the wrong way, but Tom got the better part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Um when uh, when Paul talks about to live as Christ and to die as gain, I would love to be with the Lord. Yeah. Uh, someday I will be. And uh, But in the meantime, there's work to be done. Uh, and I'm grateful that the Lord has given me productive work for His kingdom while I still have energy and, and, uh, and breath in my lungs, I guess. My thanks to today's guest, Steve Scheibner. Steve has also designed and taught a course for the U.S. Navy called Core Values, but he and his wife, Megan, have a ministry to families called Character Health. You can read more about this ministry and all that Steve is doing when you visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. There are links there to Steve and Megan's ministry, plus their book titled In My Seat, which tells their story in greater detail. Again, firstpersoninterview.com or facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Today's conversation with Steve, as well as all previous interviews here on First Person, are always available online at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, we'll talk with a woman who couldn't ignore the needs she saw on a trip to Africa. Vicki Waterlick of Hands of Hope will join us next time. 
Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time for First Person.